what our choir is coming down. It's an opportunity for our children's church to gather over to the left. My left, your right. Miss uh, Cindy is there to meet them by the Welcome Center door. So we invite all of our children that would be interested in going to children's church to please make your way over to the door there and meet Miss Cindy. And she will get you into the right place. While they're getting ready, if you want to turn in your copy of God's Word today, we'll be in Colossians chapter 3, we keep picking up in verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, picking up in verse 5, and our journey through the book of Colossians continues this week. all had a good week. I hope it's been a, a fruitful week. I hope you've had opportunities to share with others the hope that lies within you, and I hope you've been faithful to take all those opportunities you can. While you're still turning, getting ready today to read the text with me, I'll encourage you, as always, to uh, pay close attention to the announcements in your worship guide. At the end of the service today, we'll make a few uh, quick announcements on some of that, but always do that. There's a whole lot of information in there, and there's things we'll briefly go over right at the end of the service today uh, to emphasize what's kind of coming up most quickly. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, if you found your place in physically able, stand with me. Honor and reverence the reading of God's word. Also, the scripture will be on the screen and should be on the front of your worship guide today uh, to help you as we read the word of God together. Notice with me what God's word said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, reading down through verse 11. The Bible says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, you would help us today to proclaim the unsearchable riches of your word. Help us to issue the warning that you are coming and you're coming in power and great glory, that your word is true, you mean every bit of it, and may we surrender and submit ourselves completely to your lordship today, and may the Son of God be glorified as our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 11 that I read. I'm speaking to you today on the subject of when belief affects behavior. This morning when I woke up, me and the Lord 
had our normal talk. We talked several times a day. Uh, Apostle Paul said that you need to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 certainly doesn't mean that you walk around with your head down and your eyes closed all day. That's not it. But you would be constantly be in an attitude of fellowship with God so as he speaks to you, you're ready to respond. And when you speak to him, you know that he is there ready and hearing and ready to help. This morning, me and the Lord were talking and I said, Lord, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of hallelujah in the message today because when you read the text, there's not a whole lot to shout about this there, David, Ray, y'all help me. But I said, you know what? It's not so much about how much hallelujah we have. It's how much humility we have. And I believe the scripture teaches us that today. I love the hallelujah times, but I also realize what helps me enjoy the hallelujah is when I walk humbly with God. So I'm kind of like old preacher Adrian Rogers today. When I stand with the word of God in my hand, the power of God in my heart, and before God's people and with his word, I don't have anybody in mind. I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm just firing down the hole. And if you're in the hole, I can't help it, amen? But I do tell you what I want to do. If you are in the hole, I want to help get you out. And the way you get out is you come to Jesus. I shared a video this week that Adrian Rogers' daughter had shared from Love Worth Finding about her daddy. It was just the, really the basis of his ministry was pleading with people to come to Jesus. What a way to be remembered, amen? A way to be remembered is one who pled with people to come to Jesus. So, so far in our journey through this book, we're in chapter 3. We crossed in last week. We focused last week in chapter 3 on those first four verses about some very positive benefits of being a faithful and focused follower of Jesus Christ. But beginning in verse 5, we find that very familiar word that Paul uses, that word, therefore. And I want to remind you in case you forgot that any time you see the word therefore in Scripture, you have to ask the question, what's that therefore therefore? Amen? And that therefore not only signals a shift in subject matter, but it takes you back to the previous information that you've just been uh, invested in your, your life and says based on what you have just learned, you've got to make some decisions and it ought to affect who you are and what you do. See, many view the words of the text today as purely negative, and they seek to avoid this most important passage because of the appearance of it being negative. But I want you to know our culture rejects anything that isn't positive now, and it does so in a very detrimental way because it prohibits the spiritual growth that is necessary in your journey with the Lord. And I want you to know the negative must not be avoided because it's not positive, because it can make a very positive change in your life when you heed the negative warnings of the Word of God. The great preacher Warren Wiersbe said this. He said the negative warnings and commands grow out of positive truths of Christian doctrine. He said, no amount of positive talk about health will cure a ruptured appendix. The doctor will have to get negative and take out the appendix. No amount of lecturing on beauty will produce a garden. The gardener has to pull some weeds. 
The positive and negative go together and one without the other leads to imbalance. Those are some great words for the church today. A great man of God who's with the Lord now and still speaks and his legacy lives on through his faithful teaching. Ladies and gentlemen, you go to the doctor with a ruptured appendix, you don't want a doctor who's going to look at you and say, let's just speak positively to your appendix. <laughs> and maybe it will get well. Uh, you, you, you don't go to the doctor and he says, well, you're like my daughter did recently. And they say, well, your gallbladder's not functioning. It's making you sick. You, you don't say, let's have some classes on positive thinking and maybe it will start functioning again if I'm real sweet to it. No. You need that doctor to do what he has been trained to do. You need him to put his training into practice to help bring not only relief to your symptoms, but healing to your body. And I believe like a spiritual surgeon who was preparing for a very critical operation, the Apostle Paul speaks directly to the church today to prepare the church to be used by the Lord that we would be used as vessels that are clean and pure before God. And if there are ever any truly, those who are truly submitted to him, there is a special relationship that we have and our relationship with him will affect the way that we behave based on whom we believe in. I really believe what Wearsby said this too. He says, what you truly believe will be manifested in how you behave. It goes hand in hand. So as we look at these things today, I want you to know at the very start of what I am sharing today, I'm not a surgeon, and I know y'all are grateful to God, but I have been called as a preacher of the gospel to make known the truth of the word of God, whether it be positive or negative. And even though this subject matter appears to be somewhat negative, it is for your benefit today. And I'm not here to be a negative preacher. I'm just here to be a real preacher to say this is what God's word says. I'm delivering the mail today. He's put the mail in the box of my heart and I'm sharing with you what he says about when your belief affects your behavior. Notice with me if you would, beginning in verse five, that Paul issues a critical mandate. I told you there's that word therefore which points back to the teachings of verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. The teaching is clear because as Paul said, you are risen with Christ. You are dead and your life is now hidden with Christ in God because when Christ who is our life appears, you shall appear with him in glory as we learned last week. Because of these facts, Paul is saying to the church, all former sinful practices must be abandoned. They must not continue to be a part of your testimony. So when we talk about this critical mandate, notice with me in verse 5, he talks about our purging of human sin. Our purging of human sin. See, the apostle Paul declares that we must be actively involved in the process of sanctification. When we talk about sanctification, let me remind you just quickly that sanctification is threefold. There is positional sanctification that takes, takes place the moment you get saved. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are per in perfect position with God because of what Jesus did in your acceptance of his sacrifice and your repentance of your sin. 
But there's also a second part we know is progressive sanctification, which is where we are now as children of God. We are positionally sanctified, but we are daily being progressively sanctified. It is a process of spiritual growth in our life that takes place through exposure to the Word of God, worship of God, and growing in grace with Him. One day we will experience the third part, which is perfect sanctification, which is, will take place when we are in His presence and we will ever be with the Lord. I'm looking for that, amen? But right now, we're in the process of progressive sanctification, and Paul is saying to the church, you must take responsibility for your personal sanctification and get actively involved in that process. I know most folks say, well, the preacher should work on that. And I want you to know I'm trying. I'm going to give you all I got, amen? But in these 35 or 42 minutes today, however many minutes we got, in these minutes, I can do a very small part of what it will take based on the 168 hours that are in a week that you need to put in practice to make sure you are walking with God and growing in grace with Him. So Paul is saying you need to be actively involved, but I want you to know your active involvement is not totally dependent on human effort alone. As believers, here's a great truth. Our citizenship's already in heaven. Anybody happy about that? Uh, now, the new song wrote a song years ago called My Heart's Already There. It's one of my favorites. Talking about, you know what? My heart is already at home. I, I, my citizenship is there. And because our citizenship is in heaven and the new man that we are in Christ, he feeds on the things of heaven which puts our old man in constant conflict with a new man. As a follower of Jesus, if you say, I've never had any temptation to revert back to the old sins that I practiced before I became a Christian, I would say to you, I don't believe that. Amen? Because you are a human being, and as a follower of Jesus, you have, and we'll talk about putting on a new man here in a minute. Don't get too far ahead of myself. I'll have to preach that twice. Amen? Which would be great. But anyhow, because you put on the new man, that means that there is something going on. There is a constant conflict that takes place because there was a life that you lived before you came to know Jesus that involved a life of sin and you were headed to hell. And after you become a Christian, it does not mean that you are sinless, but it does mean you ought to sin less. Amen? So there's a war. Oliver B. Green said this. He said, the minute a person's born again, war is declared between the old man and the new man. It's going to happen. But here's what Paul said. He said, you've got to put to death some things. It does not mean that you can eliminate the temptation to allow the old man to affect your behavior. It's not going to go away, but you have got to be engaged in the warfare of guarding your heart and soul every day against these things. You see, these words put to death must be viewed as a call to respond. Did you hear the devotion I read at the start of the service today? Many are hearing the word, but they're not heeding the message. Many are hearing that they need to repent, but they're saying, I'm okay. Many are hearing that they need to surrender and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but we like being the master of our own destiny. No, they should be viewed as a call to respond, to respond to and to cooperate with 
the transforming power that's already at work in the life and heart of every Christian. When we are told to put to death, that means we're told to crucify some things. We're told to crucify our earthly members. And no, that's not the person on the pew in front of you. When he's talking about our earthly members, he is talking about our earthly nature. It distinguishes between our true identity in Christ and from the sinful behaviors that were present in our previous lost condition. If you know Jesus, you know change. If there is no change, there is no Jesus. So notice with me, if you will, let's walk through the text together. Notice this list that he gives us of what needs to be put to death. The first thing he says we need to put to death is fornication, which is, which is defined as sexual immorality in general, and it refers to any type of sexual sin, and our English word pornography derives from this term, which is a rampant problem in our modern society. He says a second word. He says you need to put to death uncleanness, which is lustful impurity that is connected with luxury and loose living. He says you need to put to death passion, which is also translated as inordinate affection. It is a state of mind that encourages sexual impurity, which is all across our world today. The person who cultivates this kind of appetite, Wearsby said, can always find the opportunity to satisfy it. Oh, hear me, men. Hear me, ladies. Hear me, young men. Hear me, young ladies. The Word of God is calling you as children of God to put these things to death. He says, you also need to put to death your evil desire. You say, I'm not evil. But notice what the scripture says. Evil desire is a desire that leads to deeds and appetite leads to actions. Satan knows what you got an appetite for. And he will always tempt you in the area of your appetite. He does not mind waiting for the opportune time. He does not mind being patient. He will come at a time you least desire. But I'll tell you, y'all know my struggle. I told you my biggest struggle is like Krispy Kreme. I, Glenn Height's my witness. Glenn Height, you stand up for me on this one now. Riding in a truck, we pass a Krispy Kreme. The hot light was on, wasn't it? And I got victory. Went right on by that thing. And I'm, that's been weeks ago, and I'm still smelling them in my mind, right? No, Satan loves to tempt us in the area of our appetite. He knows what makes you feel fulfilled. He knows what evil desire, evil passion, uncleanness, or anything that he's listed that can pull you into his grip. He will come after you at the time that you're tired and weakest, and he will come at you with relentless effort to try to get you as a child of God to destroy your testimony and influence for the kingdom. Oh, what does the Bible say? Oh, I want you to know something, ladies and gentlemen. Our actions can be purified. But then we must purify our hearts and our minds. James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's a good word, isn't it? You can get as close to God as you want to be. I've heard people say, well, I just can't get close to God. He won't let me. Oh, goodness. He wants you to be close to him. The only thing that keeps you from getting close to him is your unwillingness to submit to him. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When he talks about hands, that's our outward deeds. Make sure your outward deeds are pure. When he talks about our hearts, that's our inward motivation. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 4.23 to guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. If you can keep your heart right with God, your hands and your heart will show the glory of God and will not bring disgrace to the name of God. Psalm 51.10, David, as he repented of his sin with Bathsheba, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know what he was saying? I am a mess. My heart is dirty. It is filthy. It is wicked. And only you can clean me up. But then he says this. He says, you need to put to death covetousness. That can be defined as greed. Not much of that in America today, is there? Hmm. Covetousness is the sin of always wanting more. Whether it's more stuff, more pleasures, more things that make you feel good. And we can all fall into this temptation by never being content with what we have and even getting to the point that we are envious of other people. Wow. Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi in Philippians 4.11, he said, I've learned at whatever state I'm in to be content. You know what the antidote for covetousness is? John MacArthur says it's contentment. The way you guard your heart against covetousness is to learn to be content. When I look around today, I am amazed at the family. I'm amazed with the things that God has blessed me with, and I want you to know I feel so unworthy, but I am so grateful. But here's what I want to encourage you to do and what God guards my heart against. In this life, you will possess some things, but you need to make sure your things never possess you. Never. MacArthur goes on to say contentment is the opposite of covetousness. Whereas the covetous, greedy person worships himself, the contented person worships God. That's what Paul does. He says, well, let me tell you something about this sin of covetousness. I've told you about those other outward sins that can cause great damage. But covetousness, he says this, he said, it's idolatry. And I hope and believe, and I wouldn't think any of us have a, a wooden structure or a stone structure that we worship, that we bow down to, or some golden calf from the Old Testament. No. But that's not all that idolatry is. Idolatry is anything and anybody that is your object of worship. Did you hear that? Anything or anybody that's your object of worship. You know what it does? It removes God from his rightful place in your heart and life and replaces them with something far too cheap. Wow. Preacher, I know what you're doing today. You're pointing out what the Bible says about all these sins and you're using them to condemn me. And if that's how you hear me, I want you to hear my heart. I am not here to condemn you. The Bible says if you do not believe, John 3, 18, you are condemned already. I am not here to bring condemnation upon you. Paul said in Romans 8, 1, those that are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Not come to condemn you one bit. The sins that are pointed out here today, here's why I'm here. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help compel you. I'm here with the word of God in my hand, the spirit of God in my heart to compel you to live in daily surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
I'm here to help you and compel you today to guard against falling into any temptation that would compromise your integrity or bring damage to your personal testimony. I'm not here to be negative. I'm here to make you aware of the negative so you can turn it into something very positive today. It's a critical mandate, our purging of human sin, but he goes on to say in verse 6, there's a penalty for harboring sin. See, disobedience without repentance always invites the wrath of God. Sin has a price. Disobedience has consequences. We all know that. There was a time in America when you were disobedient. There was a time you went to school, whatever, you disobedient, you paid the price. If you're like me, you paid it at school and you paid it when you got home. Amen. So what is that? Well, Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mauled for whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. When the scripture talks about the wrath of God in verse 6, let me help you with maybe understanding what he's talking about. The wrath of God presently abides on all those who have not trusted Christ as Savior. Do you know today, if you're in this room today, it does not give me joy to report to you, but it is my responsibility as a follower of Jesus and preacher of the gospel to tell you that if you have not trusted Christ, you are already have the wrath of God presently abiding on your life. You know what will change that? The only thing that will cause a person not to experience the full force of the wrath of God in judgment is repentance. You say, well, repentance is a negative thing. No, it's a positive thing because you admit that you're weak and he is strong. You admit that you can't do it and that he can and for Christians today, it's very different. If you're a child of God, because you have trusted Jesus as Savior, the penalty for our sins was paid at Calvary. Not just at Calvary, but through our repentance. And we have been fully and completely forgiven. We talked about last week, paid in full. But we are not saved to do as we please. Grace is never a license to behave as you choose. If you can live as you please and only please yourself with no yearning to live soberly and righteously in this present world to please God, I want you to know something. I'm very concerned about whether or not you really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you have a relationship with him, he puts a yearning in you. The Spirit of God draws you to not only do good works, but to be a blessing and to repent of your sin on a daily basis and walk with God. Wow. I'm very concerned about people today in the Bible Belt. You know why? We go to the funeral home and everybody goes to heaven. I'm very concerned about this easy believism. I'm very concerned about this this salvation without repentance because it's not possible. It's not biblical and it is deceiving people, giving them a false sense of security and they may spend eternity separated from God because we didn't tell them the truth. Wow. There's a penalty for harboring sin. But there's also, we need to look at verse 7 where he talks about our past history of sin. <laughs> See what he's saying? in which you yourselves also walked when you lived in them. Wow. Paul continues to remind believers at Colossae that their identity in Christ is incompatible with the behaviors listed in verse 5. He does so 
by reminding them of their condition before they knew Jesus as Savior. Boy, this is close, Mom. Friends, hear me today. If you're here today and you know Jesus, I'm not talking about know about him. I'm not talking about heard about him. I'm not talking about a historical figure. I'm talking about the king of glory. I'm talking about the one who stepped out of heaven and left the robes of heaven and got clothed in the rags of humanity that he might bleed and die for your sins. I'm talking about that Jesus. I want you to know it's important that if you know him, it will do you good to reflect on where you are before you got saved. You say, well, I was saved as a child. That's okay. I want you to know it took just as much grace to save you as a child as it does somebody of any age or any spiritual condition. You need to reflect on where you were. You need to reflect on how you were living and where you were headed when God saved you. I remember very clearly, and I told the guys in the prayer room this morning, I remember very clearly that even as a, being saved as a young child, I remember years that between the ages of 10 and 15 that I tried to fit in with everybody. I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to, uh, to think I was cool and all that and a bag of chips, and I was a follower. I was a stinking follower. And I was following people around and I was wanting people to like me and think I was cool that now I'm glad they didn't. Amen, y'all with me? But look here, I want you to know that at that point I was headed on a pig pen trail. I could have caused great damage to the kingdom of God. Oh, but the king of glory. He said, son, I didn't call you. I didn't save you to fit in. I'm calling you to stand out. And from that point forward, thanks be to God, he rescued me. He intercepted my life. The Holy Ghost stepped into my path. Why? Because I belong to him. He bought me with the blood of Calvary and he wanted my life to count. He wants your life to count. Quit trying to fit in and let's start standing out. God, help us. Help us, Jesus. How oh, do you remember where you were when he saved you? Remember how you were living? Do you remember where you were headed? I'll tell you a couple things that'll do. This is not on the screen, but it'll help you stay humble and usable if you remember where you were. Remember where you were headed. It'll also motivate you to walk by faith. It'll motivate you to walk fully with God in the midst of a world that is filled with temptation and allurements. Our past history of sin ought to remind us we're no better than anybody. But we want everybody to know him because of what he did for us. Notice the second truth with me today in verse 8. Notice there's a crucial mission. I've got to talk about this, and I'll hurry the best I can. Verse 8, he uses these words. But now. Wait a minute. I just saw the word but in the Bible. That means this door fixing to swing. It's been over there in negative left field. And we're about to swing over here in the right field now, okay? The door's swinging wild. He says, but now, listen here. But he says this because you're no longer walking in sin. There are a few things you need to guard your heart against. Look at verse 8. He said that you have to put to death in verse 5. But in verse 8, he says, there's stuff you need to put off. The emphasis of verse 8 talks about social sin. Let's walk through them briefly. He says, you need to put off anger, which is a 
persistent attitude of anger. You ever met somebody that's just mad all the time? And some of them profess to know Jesus. <laughs> Amen? I've met some deacons like that. I mean, just mad and in my past. Not here, so don't anybody look around. These guys, they're not, they're not like that at all. But I've met some in the past that were so mean and so angry, but they were so right. You met them? He says, you need to put off wrath, which is sudden outburst of anger. You know anybody, you feel like you got to walk on eggshells around them because they're a loose cannon and they're just going to blow up over anything? You don't need to be that person. He says, you need to put off malice, which is an attitude of ill will toward a person. You ever heard anybody say this? I don't get mad, I just get even. Whoa, let me tell you right here, let me tell you something. You're going to spend your whole life miserable if that's your attitude. Because you're always going to try to get even. No, no, there's nothing wrong with being angry if, about things that hurt us and all that kind of stuff. But you can't have the persistent attitude of it. And you should never live just trying to get even. Some people say, I'm not going to get even. I'm going to get one up. Well, guess what you're going to do? You're going to spend your whole life looking over your shoulder because there's a chance that person don't know Jesus or they're not in fellowship with Jesus and they might be just like you. He says you need to put off blasphemy, which is speech that slanders others, tears others down, involves malicious gossip. That's a sermon by itself, isn't it? In the church today, a man told me this the other day. He said it's because of these things, the reason our parking lots are not full, the reason our worship centers are not full, the reason our baptistries are dry, the reason our altars are empty is because of these type things, the slandering and tearing down of one another. Oh, God help us. He says you need to put off filthy language, which is harsh and abusive talk toward others, foul speech, coarse humor, obscene language. You got to get rid of this stuff. And you know how you're going to get rid of it? You're not going to be able to read a self-help book and get better. You're going to have to find yourself in an altar of God on your face where you can't get low enough and you're going to have to call on the holy God of heaven to intervene into your life and to take this away from you. There's no other way. You cannot fix it by yourself. There's not anything you can do other than come to Jesus to fix these problems. See, these sins grieve the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. They must repent and restore a right relationship with God. They must be repented of today. We've got to put them off. You know why? Because there's an unbelieving world watching us to see if there's anything different about us. Notice also, if you will, when I talked about this crucial mission, I talked about our testimony must be guarded in verse 8. But notice the second thing in verse 9. The truth must be our guide. He says, don't lie to each other. <laughs> That's pretty simple, isn't it? Don't lie. You ever heard your mama say, don't you lie to me, boy. You girls would never do that. I raised girls. They don't do stuff like that, right? It's just us boys that would stretch it a little bit. No, all people do. Ephesians 4.25, Paul talked to the church there and he says, therefore put away lying that every one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. What does this speak of? It speaks not only of our truthfulness with our words and actions, it also refers to guard against the false teaching which was present at Colossae, present everywhere today because it brings deception to the body of Christ. 
And then notice with me finally, if you will, our transformation must be genuine. Genuine. I saw this guy the other day who had this ball cap on. Now, I like ball caps. Somebody says it's the reason you have a receding hairline. No, I've looked at my daddy's head and my uncle's head, and I've realized it's because I'm a Thompson. I think that's what it is. But nevertheless, in my granddaddy's head, we all got the same looking head. What a long line of heads. But anyhow, he <laughs> never forget, I laughing, looking at the back of my Uncle David's head one day. He got that bald spot kind of right there in the middle. I was combing my hair one day and I looked in the mirror and I realized I was just like him. But he... <laughs> this guy had a ball cap on the other day. And I, I, I thought the saying on it was really neat. He said, official, genuine, antique person. <laughs> so I thought... I think I know how he feels. But anyhow, how old you got to be to be an antique? I mean, they've been offering me the senior discount at WM for five years now, so I, and I'm still four years away from it, but uh, somebody says you ought to take it. Well, the Bible says don't lie, but anyhow. <laughs> but our transformation, I mean, don't you appreciate genuine followers of Jesus? Now, I'll be the first to tell you, you know, I, I, 36 years ago, I didn't have anything to offer God. You know what I've learned in 36 years? I still don't. It's not about, but boy, do you know what he has offered to me and to you and all those who will come to him by faith? Eternal life. And because of that, he wants us to be genuine. There are too many phonies and there are too many fakes and there's too many Sunday morning only Christians. There are too many people who compartmentalize their Christian life and the rest of their life. And the fact of the matter is, if you can compartmentalize, I'd be really concerned of whether or not it's a Christian life to begin with. There is no compartmentalizing. Jesus Christ is not interested in being a part of your life. He is not interested in being the best part of your life. Jesus Christ must be your life Sunday to Sunday. It's who you are, wherever you are. So let's talk about this real quick. Followers of Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, have put off the old man, put on the new man. I know y'all singing that great old hymn right now, Brooks and Dunn, brand new man, amen. You saw the light, you've been baptized. Right? Let's have to see if y'all listening sometimes because we talk about this hard stuff, y'all getting a little... Looking at me like a redneck staring at a closed waffle house. I mean, y'all, y'all, y'all give me that look. Sometimes I have to make sure y'all know. Hey, I love you. I'm trying to help you. I don't know. He says you put off the old man. You put on the new man. And as we put off the deeds of the old man, listen here. And as we put on the new, we must be conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Who is my standard? Who is my role model? Who is my Lord? Who is the person I patterned my life after? I can remember in the 1970s, for me, that was the great Terry Bradshaw. I didn't like the Dallas Cowboys, did y'all? Somebody's like, Cowboys for life, right? Roger Stallback. Tony Dorr said, I wanted them to crush him. I wanted Mean Joe Green, Mad Dog White, L.C. Greenwood, Jack Hammond, Jack Lambert, the most ferocious linebacker of all time. You say, no, it was Dick Buckus or Mike Singletary. I'm telling you, Lambert could take both of them. He was bad, all right? 
You had that wonderful secondary, Tony Dungy and Donnie Shell, and Mel Blunt. So I knew all the players, right? And then we had the running backs, Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer, had wounded in Vietnam and still scoring touchdowns in the Super Bowl. What a stud! The Cowboys, the pretty boys, you know, they had the cheerleaders. Didn't do them no good in Miami, though, buddy. In Super Bowl 13, amen, or Super Bowl 10, we whooped them twice. And somebody says, you remember Super Bowl 10? You are old. Amen, yeah, I do. But what are we up to, 50-something now? It's up there. But I remember wanting to be like that. You know what I did for Christmas when I was in the third or fourth grade? All I wanted was a one of those jerseys that said Steelers. Black and gold, and it had to be number 12. See, in my mind, I was Terry Bradshaw, a Super Bowl winning quarterback, but in reality, I had the speed of the water boy, amen? <laughs> But I had this idea, and I remember, you know, being an only child, you had to have a lot of, uh, a lot of imagination sometimes. You had to entertain yourself, and I did that quite a bit. And I remember so many times how, and I even built me a goalpost one time. It wasn't much, and it leaned a little like this, and I leaned it like that because the cowboys always hooked left, right? But I go out there, and I was old Roy Jarella the great kicker, Matt Barr, the two kickers for, the, for them. And, and I'd kick the field goal through the hoop. And if he missed it, well, that was just a trip. We got to do over, right? That was a cowboy. But when it would go through the, the uprights, I'd be, and the Steelers win another Super Bowl. It was imaginary. It wasn't genuine. See, I had the jersey, and I had, it said Bradshaw on it, but I wasn't really him. You know, I think sometimes in the world today, we want to wear the banner of being a Christian, maybe get the T-shirt. It's not who we really are. Let me leave you with this today. Romans 8, 29 says these words. Speaking of God, for whom he foreknew, talking about you, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now look, when you hear that word predestined, don't freak out, Okay. I'm not talking about predestined to salvation or no salvation, not talking about Reformed theology, not talking about Calvinism or anything like that. I'm talking about this is Bible stuff right here. As a child of God, he's talking to the church, those who are redeemed, those who have trusted Christ, repent of their sins. He's saying, as a follower of God, here's what he did. It was his will for you to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ to become more like him. He said he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And here's the will of God today. The will of God is for every child of God every day to become more like the Son of God. It is the will of God the Father that each day as he works in your life, chipping away the draws and working in that which is good and stripping away that which is bad, that you would become more and more like Jesus to where when people are looking for Jesus, they find his reflection in you. you. Remember when I told you about the silversmith? Somebody say yes. Oh, well, maybe, all right. The silversmith 
purifies through heat, melts the silver down, the impurities rise to the top, and he takes the dross off, and he takes it off, and takes it off through the process of purification. And a man came by and said, Mr. Silversmith, how do you know when it's just right? He said, when I can lean over and see my reflection in it. You know what I want Jesus to be able to do with my life and yours, Carrie? I want him to be able to look over into my life. That's all right, honey. It'll still be there. Look here. I want him to look over into my life and see the reflection of his son. And you know what it takes for that to happen? A whole lot of draws got to be poured on. I've been, I've created a lot of work. So have you. It's my prayer that when Jesus looks into your life, he sees himself. And then when you go beyond those walls, the people out there, when they're looking for what Jesus looks like, they can see his reflection in you. Wow. God is good. That's why a little earlier I was sitting here just before I came up to preach and I heard one of the children in the back making noise. I love that sound. Don't y'all? You know, I remember his parents were like, oh, God. No, please don't. Please don't. Don't. If your babies make racket, I love them babies. It doesn't matter. I love them because without them, we have no future. I can remember this helps you. I used to be one of those noisemakers. <laughs> Somebody says you still are. But I remember sitting about second pew. Edwardsville Church during a hot August revival. And I'm sitting between my, my grandmother and my Aunt Marilyn, two people that were the most precious people to me at that point in my life, still are. And my grandmother to my left, and she was like, you be a good boy. And I had my Aunt Marilyn to my right, if you're not a good boy, I will kill you. And I just always thought she might really mean that. So I got kind of bored during the preaching, Marty. And I started taking off my shoes. And I don't know who ever thought if you pinch a child in church, that will make them calm down. Because I start getting pinches from Aunt Marilyn. I'm going, ow, she better not make a sound. And I had my shoe up, and she said, put that shoe back on. And I said, no. I don't think I want to. So I started looking under the pew. And I started counting legs between there and the back door. <laughs> and I realized that if I threw that shoe just right, it would skid all the way to the back. <laughs> See, this is what future preachers think about when they're young. <laughs> I remember... I remember her eyes looking at me, don't you do it. Don't you do it. I did. <laughs> and it made it almost to the back pew. And there was one of the ladies, you could tell she had her step-ins, but she had rolled them down way far because it hit, it hit her foot. And she went, oh! <laughs> so if you hear, <laughs> so them babies, they're precious. 
You know why I tell you a silly story like that? Because I want you to know I'm genuine. I just want you to know I'm as real as you are. And I deeply desire to see you be real because that's what's going to win people and a community to Jesus. It's not going to be religious activity. It's going to be genuine transformation being fleshed out beyond the walls to where the people see Jesus in us. And you know what? That's why there's a critical mandate. That's why there's a crucial mission. Because our belief is manifest in how we behave. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, oh, how I love you, Lord. And oh, how thankful I am that you first loved me. Father, right now is a very critical time, not just in our world, but in this service. Father, it's very critical because right now the Spirit of the living God is speaking to hearts and seeking to change lives. Right now, Father, there's a war going on. That war is going on right here in this room over the eternity of lost people and over the testimony of saved people. Those who are lost are dealing with the fact that condemnation is upon them, not from the preacher, but from God's Word. Those who are your children are fighting that war. They're an old man all the time, and they may feel like they're losing ground majorly. But oh, God, how you can make it up today. There are those that are struggling. See, my, my behavior is not what it should be in doesn't really reflect who I really am. I'm just giving in to the old man. There's some things I haven't put to death. There's some things I haven't put off. Today I need to get it right. Father, may that war be won for their soul and testimony right here. May, Father, at this invitation, may they step into the nearest aisle and come to you. Not to me, not to the church, but to you. And that I and the church can rally around them and help them make the greatest decision they'll ever make. And that is for your child make decisions to continue to put to death the things that are warring against our soul and put off the things that cause us great harm. Lord, may you see your reflection in us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Our heads about eyes are closed. Here's the invitation. In just a moment, we're going to stand as we do customarily, but we don't do out of habit. We do so because of the fact that when Jesus touched lives, he invited them to follow him. And I pray as the word is declared today that he's touched your life, inviting you to follow him. If you've never been born again, never been saved, never repented of your sins, not sure you'd go to heaven if you died today, I'm going to plead with you as God speaks to your heart that as the song begins to play, you just come. We'll meet you right here and help you get a hold of heaven. You leave your new creation today. But if you are a child of God, how's that war going? You say, well, I feel like I'm losing, but if I come to the altar, it might be embarrassing. Listen to me. 
if you feel like you're losing, just know there's a lot of us struggling right alongside of you. We're not here to look down on you. We're not here to throw rocks at you. We're throwing ropes to you. We want to help you. We don't want to hurt you. But the way you get help is you come to the surgeon of the word of God. And let the word of God and the spirit of God do a transforming work in your life today. I pray that he would see his reflection in us as his body. Father, may your will be done. May lives be forever changed and may you get the glory. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Let's stand our feet all across the house. As God's spirit speaks to your heart today, would you obediently come to Jesus? Marty, when you're ready, buddy. coming, let me take just a moment to uh, remind you of the things that are most pertinent to what's in your worship guide today. Uh, this afternoon, 
Uh, new ministry is being birthed here at Heflin Baptist Church, RC, remote control. They told me they want to put one of these on the preacher. Y'all think it'll work? Amen. Nah, they didn't say that. I was just cutting up. But nevertheless, at 3 o'clock this afternoon, that's a great opportunity. If you have an uh, interest in those things, it'll be a great time 3 o'clock this afternoon. You might not be sure, but we'll try not to get a drone hung up in anything this afternoon. Announcements are also about Annie Armstrong North American Missions offering. It's Palm Sunday, April 10th, so don't forget that. All proceeds of that offering go to North American Missions. You see Easter Sunday schedule, 6 a.m. sunrise. Breakfast is available right after that in our fellowship hall. And then two worship opportunities on Easter. I pray that you are inviting, 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 because that's the key uh, for people getting to hear the gospel on Easter. It's a huge important thing. Also, we have some extra flyers for our Engaged Missions Conference that we're going to be uh, helping with over in Calhoun County, April 24th through 27th. They're at the Welcome Center. If you want more information on that, it's going to be a great time starting with the 24th when Jonathan Blair is with us from uh, Salt Lake City, and we're excited to have him here, and I know you'll enjoy his meet. All five of his children are going to be with him that day, and his wife and probably some family from Hoover, so you'll want to be here to meet Jonathan. He's a new addition to their staff since last time Derek and uh, his family were here, so you'll want to meet Jonathan. He's an old South Alabama boy. So remember that. The listing is also in your guide, 15 members of our church family that are going to Salt Lake City this summer. Uh, I encourage you to pray much for that team. Put it in your prayer list, your journal, or whatever you use. I know they will greatly appreciate your prayers. That's June 25th through July 2nd. So don't forget that. We wanted just to publish the team so you could begin praying for them. If you haven't signed up for the Bible Reading Marathon, I hope you'll do that. That's the first week in May leading up to the National Day of Prayer. And there's never been a time in history that this nation needs prayer more than today. Amen. So do remember those things. If you have any trouble signing up, call us here at the office or call and stop Vicky up at Association Office. Be glad to help you any way you can. But you know, this is one of my favorite parts of the wor of worship because I enjoy worshiping through giving. I really do, and I enjoy worshiping by encouraging God's people to really give to what God is doing. It's not what it does for me, but what it will do for you and what it will do to benefit others who desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for your support. It allows me to do what God has called me to do, and it allows us to go touch the world with the gospel. So as we give today, let's give from our hearts joyfully and cheerfully so that God will be glorified. So let's join our hearts together, and let's ask God's blessings on our giving. Jesus. 
financial crisis, political crisis, crises with hurricanes and earthquakes. And on top of all of that, you've got the COVID-19 pandemic. And so they're like, why would you go the opposite way? Everyone's trying to leave. I think there's a lot of opportunity here in Puerto Rico in terms of ministry. A lot of the folks that we minister to just live alone because families have moved onto the mainland and people tend to leave behind some of their most vulnerable family members. It takes their support system away from them. And so one who I later met as Rosa sent me a text that said, I live alone. I don't have any food left. Please just help me. So I asked, can I call you? and realized that she lived near one of our local pastors. And so he and his wife came here and went to see Rosa and really ministered to her and invited her to church. She agreed and, um, and listened intently to the message and, and then after the service accepted Christ. This is something that God is doing and I get to join him in because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And in gratitude, we respond by serving others. And so that's the importance of giving because that enables us to continue to meet these needs and ensure that the gospel is proclaimed and preached and that churches are planted and that missionaries are sent. Puerto Ricans, they've been through a lot and yet we're gonna do what we need to do to overcome this and we're gonna overcome this together. What your Annie Armstrong Easter offering supports North American missions. Uh, real quickly, uh, this afternoon, 4.30 is choir, Marty. Don't forget that, getting ready for Easter, learning some new stuff. Ought to be exciting. I'm looking forward to them being here. Uh, also, my friend Morgan Bailey out at Macedonia asked me to announce to you that uh, this evening at 6 o'clock, they're having the Voices of Mobile. If you've never heard the Voices of Mobile, it's quite a treat. We are fortunate to hear them before, and that's from, of course, University of Mobile, one of our Alabama Baptist colleges, and they do a tremendous job. I'll invite you to uh, partake of that if you possibly can. I would ask you to pray for our family this week. We had to, uh, last Sunday and again on Friday, my mother-in-law had to go to the uh, hospital in Carrollton by ambulance and having some pretty serious problems and Angie's taking care of that. We've been out um, Saturday morning, got home about four o'clock and just, you know, yesterday and she's dealing with that today and, and we'll see how it goes from there. But we just appreciate your prayers and thank you for that, okay? Keaton, come right here, sweetheart. I know Tracy and Chris come stand with you. I know they will. Wednesday night, we had two young ladies passed from death into life and received Jesus Christ as Savior in our youth service downstairs. And I believe that deserves a hand clap of praise to the Lord. Amen. This young lady, Miss Keaton White, she was gloriously saved Wednesday night. Brother Chris, Brother Keith, where's Keith? I done lost Keith. He's in children's church. Is it safe back there? Okay. All right. Brother Keith and Miss Tracy, they all ministered with Keaton and helped her in her decision. She has another friend. Miss Coley's going to be coming next week to make her profession of faith. But now Keaton uh, makes hers public, wishes to unite with the body of Christ through believers' baptism. And I just want to rejoice, and I want you to help me welcome Miss Keaton White to the Heflin Baptist Church. You do that? Look at that. <laughs> Amen. Here's how we'll close today. In just a moment, Marty's going to sing us out. 
And when he does, I want you to come by on your way out. And Chris and Tracy, if y'all stay here with Miss Keaton, I know you will. They do a tremendous job. All of our parents and leaders, I appreciate y'all so much what you do for student ministry. It's making a difference. And that's what we're here to do. So I want you to come around and welcome Keaton to our church family. Wednesday night at 6, everybody's at 6 this week, and I know spring break's next week, so make sure you're here this week, Wednesday night at 6, and uh, the prayer service is what time this week, uh, Steve, you were t and what day is that? Tomorrow at 6, they're asking uh, for prayer for folks to come into town and just make some prayer chains in town to pray for our little buddy Maddox Willingham and our little buddy Oakland Smith, both battling some serious health and praying for their families. So if you're available around that time tomorrow evening, that's going to be going on in town also, okay? But do remember that this week, and always remember that God loves you and I love you, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out, and you can